0: Take your Bibles and open up with me to genesis chapter forty eight and uh, believe it or not, this is it, church family. this is our last <laughs> this is our last message going through Genesis, and um, you might be sitting there thinking, "Are we really are we really going to uh, be in Genesis the week before Christmas And my answer is, yes, we are <laughs> and honestly um, as we finish, as we finish out Genesis, it ends on a note that transitions us uh, in a phenomenal way into the Christmas season. And uh, as we step as we step into this, uh, there's just a there. Within our within our church family as a whole, this has just been a trying few months for many of you. And uh, I just want to pause for a minute and say I feel that with you. Um, whether it's uh, just a weightiness that you're feeling. <laughs> uh, many of you have experienced physical illness. And uh, if you have a number of kids, it just kind of goes through your house and never ends. And, and some of you are just exhausted by that. Others of you, it's relational. That you're just experiencing an immense relational struggle. For some of you, it's financial. And there's just a heaviness in the midst of all of that. And you're trying to figure out how things are going to work. Others of you, it's personal, wrestling, spiritual heaviness. And uh, I, I, I believe there's many of you that are, if we're, if we're brutally honest, struggling coming into Christmas time and going, Man, I'm just struggling to get there. And I want to say, first, that's okay. Um, and secondly, that there is hope. And as we come into this final message in Genesis, it's really an emphasis of that. And what I found is when we walk through heavy seasons, there's two things that often happen. Number one is we question where where is God? And secondly, we often take our eyes off of him completely, usually because we're questioning where he is. And if we recap Genesis, uh, I've said over and over again that I should have entitled this whole series, What a Mess, right? <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're going through this and discovering God is a redeeming, faithful God in the midst of the mess. As we walk through trial and heaviness, and as many of you are just are just wanting a, a breather. Like, can I, can I just get a breath? <laughs> God created the world in Genesis chapter 1, and what did He say it was? It was good, right? And He created man and woman, and He said it's very good. And then sin enters the world through man's disobedience and it becomes tainted and all of a sudden things are not looking so good from our perspective. And then from that point forward, as we've walked through every phase of Genesis, we've seen this cycle of people who mess up and walk in disobedience and experience trial and make messes of their life and their families and the situations going on. And then what do you see in the midst of all of that? We see the faithfulness of God. And we see in the midst of the messes, God's redemptive plan coming to fruition exactly as He has meant it to be. And we've talked about it. We've said nothing can hinder the faithfulness and the work that God is already doing. And that's why we should find our greatest hope in that. That His redemptive plan... Will come to fruition and ultimately here's where this majorly ties in with Christmas is his redemptive plan comes to a peak with spoiler alert a baby in a manger. But there's a reason (laughs) that when we look at the manger and we look at the cross they stand empty. Because Jesus didn't come to remain a child in the manger. And that's the temptation we have to avoid in this season. The reason we have to celebrate is because we know Jesus came, but He didn't just come and stay in the manger. He didn't just stay a baby. But in fact, grew, walked in obedience to His Father, was crucified on the cross, but He didn't stay on the cross either. He was buried. But he didn't stay in the grave either but He rose again and is alive today. The same Jesus who brought hope into the world that night is present this day, but it's bigger than that church family. The same God who was faithful to send His Son as a child is the same God in Genesis who will remain faithful To his purposes. Regardless of the messes we encounter. Here. And that's why. As we really close out this series in Genesis today. It falls back to this main idea. That we've repeated over the last several weeks. That is so crucial for you church family. That I want you to grasp hold of. And it is simply that what man meant for evil. God meant for good. And you're going to see today where that falls in what what the context of Joseph saying this is and how it relates to all of what we have seen God do through Genesis. And I'm telling you today, as hard as it is to see a statement like this in the midst of your mess, to know that it's the same God. And he is still just as faithful. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, where we pick up in this narrative is last time we were here a couple weeks ago, the nation of Israel, Israel or Jacob, as he was called before being renamed, is brought with his family to Egypt because they've discovered Joseph is alive. And he brings all of them there and they're provided for. And we see the provision, the protection of God over his people, just as he promised. And at the very end of chapter 47, we see that Jacob or Israel, same person, had told Joseph that he wanted to be buried with his forefathers. We talked about the significance of that in faith. He's saying, I want to go to where I know God has promised to bring our people to. I want to go there. It's an act of faith saying, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I believe that God is true to his promises. And so this picks up in 48. And what I want to do is I'm going to read chapter 48 in its whole. And as we read this, I want you to recognize the emphasis here that God's promises never fail. God's promises never fail. Verse 1, it says, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took him, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, here's the promise. I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as uh, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are they are my sons whom God has given me here And he said, bring them to me now, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring Also, I want to pause there for a minute, because in the midst of God fulfilling his promises, there are small blessings along the way. You see, Jacob had convinced himself he would never, for one, he was convinced Joseph was gone. He was dead. And he convinced himself that he would never see him again. And not only has God now allowed him to see the face of his son, but also the children of his son. And I encourage you, church family, don't diminish the small ways you're reminded of God's faithfulness along the way. So easily we can become distracted by the mess that we get in, that we lose these small things that scream God is faithful. And that He's true to His promises. And understand, God fulfilling His promises in the midst of this, that this small thing had no bearing upon God fulfilling His promises. God had not promised until much later on that Jacob would see Joseph again. And yet, Jacob clings to what God told him back in Luz in the land of Canaan, when the Lord promised in verse 4, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. We would be wise to understand too that there is a lot of us who may never see the full scope of how God will fulfill His promises. Jacob fully recognizes here God will be true to do exactly as He's promised to do even if I'm not here. Do we have that kind of faith? It's hard. Church family, it's hard. Especially when you're in the midst of the muck and you're going, what are you doing with this? God? Why? And I don't always have the an answer for that. I don't know. Man, I'm, I've asked myself that question a lot. Why? And yet, how do we navigate in hope and in joy and in the, rooted in the promises of God as we walk through that, we pull back and we recognize the broad scope of what God is doing. I found great comfort this week in the reminder that in this very moment, whatever trials we're experiencing or navigating or going through, whatever that is, think about that in the scope of eternity. Right? When we're in the middle of it, man, it can feel like this is the end of the world. And yet, in the scope of eternity, this is but a speck of what God is doing in the whole. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of that. It would have been so easy for Joseph over and over again to lose sight of God's faithfulness. And yet, we can fall back to this, that God's promises Never fail. Now, what's interesting is as Joseph brings his sons to his father and he blesses them, it does not go the way Joseph intended it to go. And there's a, another subcategory to this that as God fulfills his promises, he will do it his way, not man's way. Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, everyone say younger and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac walked, the God who has been, get this, the big picture, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And here's where Joseph is confused. Verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. Because he was younger. He took his father's hand to move it. (laughs) Just picture this happening. From Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head, and you know what Joseph's thinking here. Okay, dad's losing it. He's old, he's tired, he's weak, like he doesn't, he can't see well, like clearly he's made a mistake. I'm just gonna fix this, I'm not gonna say anything. So he moves in, and Joseph said to his father, not this way, father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. God's promises never fail. And he gives us small blessings along the way, but this he does it his way, not ours. And you can see a pattern of this in Genesis, where the older ends up serving the younger. There's not a lot of explanation other than God sought to do it that way. And he's righteous in doing so. And you can spend a lot of time, and I encourage you, even in your own studies, uh, as, a, as a challenge to you on a fruitful study, is go through and study through the rest of the Old Testament and look at each one of Israel's sons and how these blessings that are spoken in 48 and 49 correlate over to who they become. We could spend a whole nother series of weeks just on these couple of chapters. And I'm going to challenge you to do that work. And as you wrestle with that, if you set out to do that, let, come, let's talk about it. But I want to, I want to move over because what happens in 40, uh, in, in 49 is, uh, that Israel speaks blessing over each one of his sons. And sometimes that blessing's not too friendly based in who they are or what they've done. Uh, then we get to the end of chapter 49 and I want to, spend a majority of the rest of our time looking at chapter 50 because there's so much significance here as it relates to who is God in the midst of all of this. God's promises never fail. We see final blessings. And then at the end of chapter 49, look at verse 28. says, all these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last And was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father to the physician. Forty days were required for it. For that is how many are required for this process. The Egyptians wept for him seventy days. When the days of weeping for him were past. Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying I'm about to die in my tomb, that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me now. Therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. So Pharaoh gives him the ability to do this. He gives him permission. Go bury your father. Take this on. Go. Go. Do this that you have said and then return. So they took, they buried Jacob. And as I have stated before, this further emphasizes the faith of Jacob to say, God will do what he has promised to do. Put me in this place that one day God has entrusted we will possess. But if you have been tracking with us, you know that up to this point, there really was some underlying tensions going on because Joseph's brothers had really treated him really crummy up until recently. And if we go back to the beginning of Joseph's story, we know that they threw him in a pit, left him for dead, decided to sell him into slavery, sold him into slavery and lied to their father and said, he's dead. They covered his coat in blood and said, a wild animal. Tore him to pieces. Deception, lying, and then it's decades later. We're not talking about a few months here. It's, It's decades later that they go to Egypt in the midst of famine and find themselves bowing down to the very brother that they had sold. Well, obviously the connection point between Joseph and his brothers was their dad. Jacob. Well, now, Jacob, Israel, is dead. And verse 15 of chapter 50 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command, which, once again... (laughs) When we depend on deception to protect ourselves, it's never a wise option. So they send this message and say, please forgive the trend as if their dad had said this is a really low move. okay? (laughs) please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him, and he said, and and they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God's purposes always prevail. God's promises never fail. God's purposes always prevail. In the midst of all that is taking place. Joseph's brothers are fearful fearful for themselves. Once again recognizing the error of their ways. The sinfulness of their behavior. They fear for their lives. Understandably so. And yet what we see in Joseph. Is not just commendable. It's an exhortation to you and I. Thousands of years later, this is an exhortation to you and I that is not easy. To recognize the broad view in the scope of a season, a ridiculously hard season of struggle and strife to stop and recognize nothing will interfere with the purposes of my God. Nothing will stand in His way. And as much as I can feel in the depths of who I am, that it is hindering what God is doing. His purposes always, everyone say always, always prevail. They always do. In more ways than one, Joseph, as we look at his life and consider this, is a type of the one who is yet to come. You see, Joseph is not the savior of the world. But think about the character of Joseph. He trusts the Lord. As he's sold into slavery, as he's in Potiphar's house, as then he ends up in prison, in the dungeon... Ends up forgotten about for years. And then ends up in Pharaoh's court. And in all of that, he, he trusts the Lord. He walks in obedience to the Lord's commands. He flee, he fleed away from the temptation. He, he, he ran, physically ran, and endured consequences because he ran. He's wise in his decisions. He's used to protect and provide for his father and their family. Ultimately used in order to bring about God's redemptive plan for his people in Genesis. To the end of his recorded life, Joseph finds confidence in God's working through every situation. Are we stuck in the rut of the short term? You see, as I've sat in this this week, and I've wrestled with this this week, I've had to ask myself over and over again, Am I looking at this moment, or am I looking at my sovereign God? And, church family, I'm just going to confess to you, it's way easier to fix our eyes on the moment and to feel the weight of the moment in this season and the grief of that. (laughs) And it takes discipline for us as a family to step back and go. God is bigger. And He's faithful. And his purposes will always prevail. And nothing that I encounter, no matter how hard in this life, in this world, nothing will stop that. As I think about those things and I seek to encourage you, I I actually want to take you to Psalm 77 this morning. Because I recognize when we look at the words of Joseph and we say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I recognize that we can easily. Look at Joseph and go, that's easy for you to say. And Psalm 77. Has become one of my favorite passages. Because it's out of the ordinary from what we, what we usually think we hear in scripture. (laughs) In verse one, it says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. See, this this description, I believe, each one of us has been there at some point. (laughs) Like... Oh, I can't sleep. I, I can't find rest. I'm, I wonder where God is. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm stuck. And so the spirit of the psalmist makes a diligent search. And so you might think that what comes next is they're going to be like, oh, praise be to God. Instead, look at verse seven. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now, if this ended here, it would be, I think, the most depressing psalm in the whole Bible. But he doesn't stop here. And this is where I want to tie this back to Genesis and the broad view of God's faithfulness. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. What is that? I'm going to appeal to the years of God's faithfulness that have nothing to do with this moment in time, but everything to do with who my God is. And here is what is next. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. We can almost imagine Joseph saying something similar through the immense trials that he endured. And yet, at the end of this record of his life, he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Here's the hard, one of the hardest truths in this, and then I want to get to the how of how we do this. The only way we find hope through the trials and tribulations of this life, is to recognize that all of this is not about us. That at the end of the day, if we make this about me as an individual, then I've missed the heart of God. Because God has made Himself available through His Son that we might walk in His promises and experience the life-giving hope that can only come through Jesus. But if it's about me and my circumstances in the moment, then I can easily become distracted away from who He is and where He is faithful and fixate on this moment in time and struggle. Because in that moment, my concept of God is limited to this moment in time. And I exhort you brothers and sisters to appeal to His faithfulness throughout generations. To take careful inventory and go back in time and reflect on your own story and where you have seen God be faithful time and time again. And to stop and remember that the biblical truth is that He does not change. But He is faithful. God's promises never fail. God's purposes always prevail. Do you believe that God is using the mess you are in for His glory and your benefit? I wish I could say that my answer to that question is always yes. (laughs) It's hard. How do we do this? How do we have this mindset of Joseph... In day to day life. I want to give you just four really specific. Practical ways. For you to to live this out. Okay. Number one. Be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46. And the hardest part about this. At least in my encounter. Is not the knowing he is God part. How many of you struggle to be still? You you guys are a bunch of liars. (laughs) We struggle to be still. It is part of our culture. And I didn't mean that vindictively, okay? I love you. I care for you. I think we're just prone to undermine how much we struggle with this being still part, okay? It's hard for us to stop. Stop. And I can't tell you the number of times that I encounter people who just can't slow down. It's every day, all day. And then when I get home, man, it used to be that when I left things, it stayed there because unless someone had my home phone number, they couldn't get a hold of me. Not not anymore. Now we have all of it in our pocket. Our phone, our text messages, our emails, all, all of that. And I'm going to tell you, we're really not good about just stop. Uh, we're really bad at Sabbath rest. Just shutting down. And in so doing, here's what we say, church family. We say, I need to be God. I need to know all things. I need to be aware of all things. And I need to control all things. And I'm, I'm right there with you. And I've had to get in the habit of taking, even if it's just half a day, and shutting everything off. Why? Because if I don't, then I, I not only fail to be still, but I lose sight of who God is. Because my mind is going so many different directions, I don't have time to focus on Him. How do I... How do I pursue a type of peace that can only come from Him? I have to be still. Push away distractions and know that He is God. Secondly, embrace an attitude of joy and contentment. Now recognize here, this is really important. I didn't say embrace an attitude of happiness. We've talked about this. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. That's why Matthew, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed or deeply joyful are those who mourn. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you go, how, if that's, if joy is happiness, how is that understood? I'm supposed to be happy while I'm mourning? No! Joy is rooted in something far beyond yourself. Lasting joy is rooted in the hope of Jesus. If I'm going to embrace an attitude of joy and contentment, I have to begin by being still and knowing that He is God. You see the pattern here? And when I do so, I can embrace joy and contentment knowing that regardless of what happens to me here, He is faithful. Third, immerse yourself in the promises of God. If God's promises never fail and His purposes always prevail, it would do me well to know what has God promised and what hasn't He. To read them, memorize them, pray them. Immerse yourself into the promises of God. And the fourth one has to do with what we're seeking to do here. (laughs) Surround yourself with people who do the same. It's really hard to walk this journey if you're trying to walk it alone. It's not what's meant to be. It's not the, the way that God has called us to do this. He's called us into community. Are you stuck in a rut of the short-term family? At the end of this, my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we would have the characters, characteristics of Joseph... To be able to, regardless of the season, go, God is faithful. And I'm not going to act out of my emotions or out of the the season or this moment, but I'm going to respond out of a confidence knowing that He has not changed and He is still good. He is the one who will bring His promises to fruition. And when we fix our eyes on Him, commit ourselves to root into Christ, that's when in the face of such adversity, we're able to rise up and say, though I know mankind or the culture or this instance is something that could be for evil, God means this for good. And thus I will praise Him relentlessly in the midst of the storm because I know He is faithful. as I say these things, I recognize that there are those who have experienced deep wounding where you go, I question the faithfulness of God. And to that I say, I hear you. I've experienced those wounds. But I can tell you that every wound I've experienced has nothing to do with God's doing, but the sinfulness of mankind. And I confess that it's really hard sometimes to separate the two. But I want you to know that God is faithful. And in Christ, which was why we're celebrating this coming weekend, in Christ, <laughs> there is lasting joy and hope. But we have, to, we have to accept the gift that has been given in Jesus. And if we have not done that, then we should not expect to have a confidence that extends beyond our circumstances. But I can tell you, if you're rooted in Christ, even when those troubles come, when those trials come, you have a place to fix your eyes. But you have to choose to fix your eyes there. And this in no way means that if if you're in Christ, that you're exempt from these struggles. I wish that were true. I wish with all of my being that if we just prayed a little harder and were devoted a little more and sought to follow Jesus better that all of the struggle would go away. It doesn't. But what it does give you is a singular place to set your eyes that does not change. That you at the end of the hardest day of your life can sit and recognize my God is faithful. As Psalm 77 says, who, what God is great like our God. And praise him that that hasn't changed. And so as we reflect on these things, I want you to reflect on (laughs) where, where are you stuck? Where do you need to refocus yourself on who He is and what He has promised. Where do you need to trust Him more and release the things you're seeking to control to be still and know that He is God? Where is that in your life? And I'm going to ask the, the men who are going to serve communion to come, to come forward. And this is, a, this is a great time for us to pause and reflect on that. And to say, let's refocus ourselves. The purpose of this time is meant to serve as one that we remember together and remind each other of what has been done for us in Christ. And maybe this is something that (laughs) the Lord uses to remind you of his faithfulness, that when you appeal to To his faithfulness in the past. You fix your eyes. On what was done on the cross. And in the process of doing so. This is why I love the decoration up there. Because we remember that. That's why we celebrate him coming in the manger. It doesn't end there. But it goes to the cross. To the grave. To the ascension. Where he's seated at the right hand of God. And he intercedes on our behalf. Praise God. And so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask us just to reflect. They're going to serve communion. I'm going to ask you to just reflect on these truths. And if there's conviction in you over where you're at in these things, then I'm I'm going to encourage you to take whatever posture you need to take, whether that's on your knees or standing or sitting, to say, God, I I need your intervention in my life. And my hope has been in something that is, has left me broken and lost. And I know I've got to refocus on who you are and remember your faithfulness, God. Let's take time to do that. Father, as we commit this to you and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We recognize your faithfulness to your purposes just as you have promised throughout history. And in so doing, anticipate the fulfillment of your promises that are yet to come. God, may we be a people who remembers and reminds one another that there is no one great like you. That you are faithful. That there is hope and joy and forgiveness in you. May that motivate who we are and who we're becoming for Your glory. In Jesus' name.